Introducing the two-way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the two-way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the two-way for yourself at newbalance.com. Hey, welcome back to the Lions 24-7 Podcast. Once again, Sean Fitz riding solo. Tyler Donahue at the hospital today. Hopefully good news there, uh, but I don't think he's going to be able to make it on this episode today. Because of that, we are bringing in one of our favorite guests, 24-7 Sports National Recruiting Analyst Brian Doan. Doan is oftentimes uh, welcomed on this podcast, most of the time is welcomed on this podcast because our listeners like to hear our conversations, um, which are much more uh, informal than, uh, than than Tyler and I would say, but uh, I think that's why they love you, Don. That's why I love you, and uh, we, we appreciate you coming back on. Yeah, hey, my pleasure. I can't believe I'm one of the favorite. That's a little disappointing. I think we have this conversation every single time you come on. So, um, yeah, you're you're among our listeners' favorite. We just had Lamont okay. Payne, Penn State commit 23, so I think it's, it, it's better for the fans to like the players more than you. So sorry about your luck. It depends on the game, but yes, I agree with that. <laughs> solid point, solid point. Uh, Penn State, of course, 5-1, and one, but but you, you're here to talk recruiting. Um, mm-hmm. We haven't had you on for a while. There's been some happenings since then. I think we had you on late in the summer after Penn State went on their massive recruiting run. Now have the number two class in the country in the class of 2022. There's been a couple of commits since then, a couple of guys from, uh, you know, you, not just your region, but you as a Rutgers guy have covered Amari Evans. So um, we're going to start with the 2022 commits, uh, Andre Roy. Uh, came out of seemingly nowhere. I know this is one where uh, he committed and I was in Wisconsin and I called you and I said, do you want us to run the story? And you were like, what's, what story? What's, what's going on? This one just came out of nowhere. So uh, Andre Roy, let's talk the saga of Andre Roy first, because this is one we thought was trending to Maryland. And all of a sudden he's, he's a Penn state commit. Well, yeah. And, and I think, I mean, he was trending to Maryland and I was at the school, you know, I think maybe two days before he committed and he said, you know, at first he was going to commit, I believe, on a it was like a Wednesday. Wednesday. Yeah. And he says, well, I'm going to delay it. He delayed it. For, he's, you know, then he told me, oh, I'm going to wait till after the weekend to commit. And, you know, I was in the uh, Baltimore Harbor Tunnel or whatever they call it. And on my way back from uh, visiting schools in Virginia. And all of a sudden, my phone starts blowing up, and Andre Roy committed, and I had no idea because, as you know, Fitz, I'm not going to text and drive. So it took until somebody called me to let me know what was going on. And I'm not surprised because I had I was on Penn State for a long time. Um, there was a lot of smoke with Maryland, and then there was the talk of did he visit Maryland the day or two after he committed to Penn State? And... I don't know if anybody really nailed that one down yet. Depends who you talk to on whether he visited or not. Um, And I think it's kind of stabilized. Right now I feel good that he'll still wind up at Penn State, but let's see what happens through December. I think, um, you know, as we tape this, Maryland's last two games were lopsided. And and you understand why with Iowa and Ohio State, and and you're going to have games like that when you're Maryland and rebuilding. But, uh, you know, I I think – he really likes Penn State. It was evident when he committed. For a long time, I had Penn State as the crystal ball pick, and I probably flipped it a week before he committed to Penn State. So 
usually we have these things pretty nailed down. Like I said, I was at the school and uh, I was pretty comfortable leaving the school that he was going to Maryland. And then, you know, he, he didn't even ask Penn State for a graphic when he wound up committing to Maryland. So that's where, and I know he had asked Maryland for one. And so that adds to the intrigue of something that I guarantee you is not over. There's a lot of stuff bubbling on that one just below the surface. And it's been a strange recruitment, no doubt about it. Um, but but it's been an interesting one because if you track it, he was one of those guys. Penn State offered a lot of offensive linemen in, in the class of 2022. Didn't really seem like they pressed the gas. They saw some stuff in the spring that they liked. Of course, they couldn't have him on campus until June. But they saw some stuff in the spring that they liked. Uh, the camp that we were at at Under Armour looked, actually looked good at Under Armour. Then you flash forward to, to the fall and you're wondering, is, is Penn State going to take this guy? Because his tape really didn't match what we saw from that uh, that camp circuit. So, yeah. But still, you understand why Penn State took him. I mean, he's got close to 37-inch arms. He's got uh, pretty good feet for his size. Um, still has to work out the playing football aspect of being a football prospect. But there's a lot to work with there for Phil Troutwine. Well, and when you look at what Phil Troutwine wants in offensive line prospects, I mean, he fits it. Big, long, has athleticism. I mean, I, I don't think anybody – I'm sure some people out there have seen the Malik McNeil highlights from the season. Um, you know, I don't, I don't think Malik McNeil is the kid that you say, okay, he's ready-made to come in, but very similar body types. Long, athletic, move well, can bend, and then you just teach them the technique when they get there. And let's be honest, in, unless you're one of the top, you know, three or four offensive linemen in the country, usually coming in and playing as a true freshman is a daunting task. So for me, it's really no big deal that it's going to take time for Andre Roy to kind of, you know, tune, you know, tune up his body as far as getting upper body strength a little more, bend a little bit, get some flexibility, um, continue to reshape his body just so he's a little lighter on his feet. But he's exactly what Phil Troutwine usually wants an offensive lineman you go back and look what he took at boston college and it's very similar just guys that have some really good measurables but may not be as far along in the development line in high school as some of the other guys but i i still think he's a really good prospect i i tend to always try to gravitate toward things that i see really good from a kid and not as much as if they're struggling and fitz when you and i saw him at that camp in baltimore in May, he was fantastic. And like you said, the film right now doesn't match up with what we saw that day. But what it tells you is that ability is in there. And it's up to the coaching staff to get it out of them. Yeah. And that's, uh, that's one thing that you look at for these offensive linemen across the across the board is just in the in the the region or whatever you want to call it, there's just not a ton of guys that are uh, ready made. I mean, we saw Landon Tengla last year was ready made. He has not played a snap for Penn State this year. Well, I mean, you know, you ready-made is, you know, not only do you have to be physically able at 18 years old to go against 23-year-old men, but you then have to understand the techniques. You have to understand the protections and what you want to do. By the way, also get used to living away from home, in most cases for the first time, and do schoolwork, you know. And so there's a lot to entail that entails playing as a true freshman. And then, you know, more than anywhere on the field, the offensive line strength is an issue. And, and high school strength is different than college strength. Langdon Tangwell was really far along, really athletic and really strong. But he's going against defensive linemen that still have been lifting weights for four more years than him. Yeah. 
Yeah, that's uh, one thing when you project those guys. I mean, there's just so few. You, you think about a guy being ready-made, but there's just so few that can actually make that jump. And, and Tangwall is as close to Connor McGovern or any of those guys that have come in, just not quite there. And I think McGovern, when he came in, of course, had a little bit less in front of him. So um, that was that was definitely one. And, and you're talking oh, – by the way, while we're on Roy, let's talk Malik McNeil highlights. How, how hard did you laugh uh, at, at the uh, – <laughs> The first one was the touchdown. The second was the punt. Those were special ordered. Um, he got on those for us. I was, I was much appreciative of those things. But what else did you see in that tape? Well, I, I liked the hang time on the punt, too. It was, it was very Reggie Roby-esque, which fits. You probably are too young, so Google it. No, he was, he was a Washington where, punter for, for a short time. So, yeah. Oh, jeez. Well, I'm talking about the good days for Reggie Roby. So, but for me, like he didn't, McNeil didn't jump when he punted or, you know, his foot didn't come off the ground. And so I was really impressed. And what, what got me was I really hope that kid was okay that he hit on the sideline. And if you have no idea what we're talking about, go into Malik McNeil's profile, go into the latest story I wrote and the highlights are at the top of the story because it's just, I mean, it's funny. <laughs> you know, he's six seven playing against a, a bunch of guys who are like five ten, and he's just killing them. Yeah, but, it's a, it's, uh, it's among the worst competition you'll see on tape, and and he just uh, you, you wonder how that kid was afterwards. But you also had to question his decision making before he made that cut I mean, straight into Malik. Can we McNeil. please cut? Well, he didn't make a cut. He just ran. <laughs> he should have just cut it back to the inside or ducked out of bounds. I mean. We're talking about longevity here. Um, yeah, but just, with just McNeil, running is a cut for some people. So <laughs> uh, that, is that, that is fair. But no, I think some of the things you look at is, you know, we laugh about that. But to be able to hit a kid in the open field who's like half your size, it does take some agility to do that. And yeah, he's going to need to really work on his technique. He has some defensive line tape where he's running really well to the sidelines. So you take the athleticism out of you know, from that aspect of it. And, and so there's a, there's a lot to like from the athletic standpoint of it. He still has to, you know, the technique has to come along. And you got to remember, he has not been playing football for a while. He, he first went up to a school in New England as a basketball recruit. And the football coach is like, hey, at least come try football and see if you like it. And, you know, it, it turned into a good thing for Malik McNeil. And then he did not really have a junior season. So he's got a lot of work to do from the technique standpoint, but it goes to what we talked about with Andre Roy. You know, this kid is legit size, six, 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 seven with length. And, and I don't care if you have plus length at six, seven. I mean, if you, if you're just, you know, you have your normal length, you're six, seven. Um, and I just think that once Phil Troutwine gets him and, and develops him in terms of having a kick step and be able to cover the edge and, and not lean too much on some of the blocks and, and really, learn to sink his hips i think he you know he could be really good in the run game i think he's athletic enough from what you watch on a tape that he's a guy that is a left tackle you could still pull him if you want to so there's a lot to work with it's just that you know some guys come to campus with you know some kind of sculpted clay to them and malik mcneil is just like a ball of clay so there's going to be a lot of work there um to me, check in again when he's a redshirt sophomore, but that still gives you, you know, three years with him. And and that's what you want with O-line depth anyway. When you you mentioned Tangwell not playing as a true freshman, I mean, to me, that speaks well of Penn State on what they've done on the offensive line, that they don't need him to come in and play. Because usually if you're coming in to play as a true freshman, you've done something wrong in recruiting before that. 
We're going to switch gears here, switch a couple of gears here. Omari Evans, the speedster from Texas. Mm. You're familiar with him uh, being, yeah. you know, around the Rutgers program. Uh, Penn State adding, you know, I, I, I said it at the time he committed, they didn't need another receiver. They didn't need another guy in that, in that room, considering what they've taken so far in 2022. But when you get a chance to get a guy that fast, that's something that they thought really long, long and hard about and ended up uh, going ahead with. So Omari Evans, what does he bring to the table for Penn State? Yeah, I think you hit it on the head. He brings speed and I don't care how many receivers you have. And, you know, there's talk. Did he run a four, three, whatever down at TCU, um, you know, at Penn State to do the handheld. So he's in the four threes from what you hear, uh, which look, if you're talking handhelds in the four threes, whatever, four fours, it's fast. I don't care how you're going to carve it up. It's fast. And his recruiting was a little different in that he's a kid from Sandusky, Ohio, who's now in Texas, and he always wanted to play in the Big Ten. And so it makes sense with Rutgers and Penn State where the two schools and why maybe the Texas schools weren't on him as much because he had in his mind that he wanted to go to the, you know, the the Northeast or the Midwest, you know, upper Midwest to play. But it goes back to what you said. It's speed. And no matter what happens – you, you you know, what do you say? You can't teach size. You can't teach speed. So if I'm Penn State and I have scholarships available, well, yeah, I'm going to take this kid because in this day and age, if things don't pan out, they're, you know, you know what happens in two years anyway. But, boy, find somebody on the roster who can run like that, and now defenses have to worry about the deep ball. And so it just puts a lot of different stresses on a defense. You can't sag back because you can hit him with the underneath stuff that he can – you know, turn eight yards into 80. So there's a lot of things if you're Penn State you like about it. And and Penn State did a good job of just staying on him. For a long time, it looked like he was heading to Rutgers. But when it got into the season and he did not commit to Rutgers, you just knew he was waiting for something else. You know, there was something else that he was waiting on. Either it was going to be an offer or a green light from a school or whatever. You just knew there was something else he was waiting on, and that that something else turned out to be Penn State. And I, I think that works for both programs because for Penn State, you're getting a really promising prospect. And for Rutgers, if you got him, you were going to get a kid who wasn't totally all in anyway. So, um, But from the Penn State aspect, I mean, Fitz, you know the roster better than I do. Who's the guy that runs like that on the roster now? Well, that's funny because I was just thinking in this class more because, you know, you, you look at what's on there. Parker Washington runs well. He doesn't run that well. Keandre Lambert-Smith, you could say the same thing there. Um, but you you look at this class and Omari Evans ran low 4-3s, 4-3-2-ish um, on this. You say handheld, but what it is is all these coaches are on the clock and you will go from lowest to highest, basically average them out. And, and if you're averaging a 4-3-2, you know, as Omari told me, his lowest, his lowest time there was 4-2-5, then, you know, that's pretty good speed. So you have that, but you also compare them with to, what, to what you're bringing in in 2022. All those guys camped or worked out for Penn State. Caden Saunders, who we widely viewed as the fastest guy um, beforehand, ran a 4-4-4 in, those same, in that same scenario with the watches right. on him. Tyler Johnson, 4-4-7. Uh, Anthony Ivey, right around a 4-5. So those guys, very fast, very fast. But Amari Evans just seems to have another step to him. Yeah, it is. And, and I think that's the point I was trying to make, is it doesn't matter how accurate the 4-3-2 is. When you're talking about numbers like that, you're talking about legit speed that defenses now have to worry about, whether – you know, you want to run some jet sweeps with them to get them around the corner, whether you want to run some crossing stuff with them, whether you want to 
throw the deep ball to him. Now, does he have to work on his route running, especially getting out of breaks and, and being cleaner there? Yeah, without question. But there's there's ways to utilize him as a player. Um, and to me, if you're going to miss, there's two ways you miss. You miss on size, you know, the six seven offensive tackle who maybe doesn't pan out, and you miss on guys that run really fast. Yeah, and it seems like we just covered both of those guys. So miss big, <laughs> miss fast, and it's uh, October now. So uh, Penn State's still looking out to close out that 2022 class. The, the main guy that I've been focused on, I know there's a couple guys still on the radar, but the main guy that I've been focused on is Roy's teammate, Jay Sean Barham, uh, linebacker from St. Francis Academy. This is a guy you've seen in person. I know you loved scouting him in person. Yeah. Um, very quiet, very uh, standoffish from the process. Uh, was at DeMatha, eventually ended up at St. Francis. So there's, there's a lot of um, things that would point to Penn State at this point, I would say, but you can't you can't lock it up anywhere. South Carolina, he took an official visit to South Carolina, I think, what, two days after he told you he was not going anywhere, <laughs> taking any visits. So that's the kind of recruitment well, this is. Maryland's yeah. always been there. Florida might be there as yeah. well for an official visit. So there's just so much going on here. Well, yeah, and I think um... – you know, and I want to make sure people understand when you when you said standoffish, that that is not a negative way. It's not like he's mean or doesn't want to talk about things or is grumpy when you go to interview him. It's just not his it's not his style to do a lot of interviews. And he's not I, you I, when I, I call you at eight thirty in the morning. Yeah, and <laughs> I get back to you at eleven thirty when I get up. Yes, um, but uh, you know, for me with Barham, it's interesting because I know Fitz, you had heard it too that there was some talk that. What Barham said to Roy really led Roy toward Penn State, right? And it makes sense. Barham was coming off of a visit to Penn State where he was able to see a lot of things and, and Roy wasn't there for the whiteout and Barham was on his official visit. There's a lot to like, look, if you're a linebacker or even if you're an edge guy, I mean, Barham's perfect for a Penn State recruiting because they can tell him you're either the next Micah Parsons or the next Jason Awe. So, you know, take your pick on. There's a, there's a bunch of them out there right now. <laughs> yeah, there, there, are, there are a few. I mean, you know, look at 30 years earlier, I, I'm, or, you know, maybe more than a little 30 years, but I may be the next Micah Parsons, you know, because of my length and everything. But, uh, but you know, I, I, I look at I'm glad you it laughed and, at that because it's just... <laughs> anyway, go on. It is what it is. <laughs> but, I, I mean, I, I look at it and he's a fit in a couple areas for Penn State. Um, and I know he likes the he likes Brent Pry. He likes the vibe of the coaching staff. Um, he's a smart kid, so he understands the alumni pipeline. But there's also staying home and playing close to his family, which Maryland offers. And and he's been to Maryland a few times. And the South Carolina thing, you know, don't don't underestimate the Gamecocks. And and the thing that they have working in their favor is he's good friends with Marshawn Lloyd, the running back with the Gamecocks, who was a former teammate of his at DeMatha, and they've stayed in contact. And so Marshawn is able to tell him what's going on with the coaching staff, how, how it's changed there, the culture, and what is needed, and maybe a faster path to the field. Although a kid like Barham, you, you're figuring no matter where he goes, he's getting on the field pretty fast. And and Florida, you know, look, at he does not do a ton of interviews. Um but can, can you tell been, people how, how, how tough it is to get an interview out of him? I don't know how much of that is between you and I, but just it's it's always funny to me just because he's he, he's he doesn't want to talk to you. Let's be honest here. 
He does not. Um, and, and it's not me. He just, he, he's very quiet and doesn't see the need all the time of why do I have to do an interview? I did one with you. And he was, look, I went down to the game. He was great. I mean, to the scrimmage, he was outstanding. He's like, yeah, I got you after we'll talk. And then I saw him, you know, a month later and he's like, well, we just spoke. What else could I say? And I'm like, well, you were at Penn State on an official visit. And for him, it is not understanding how, you know, I, I said to him, I said, listen, Jay Sean, whatever school you're going to go to with the NIL, um, this helps get your name out more and it makes you more popular with fans. I said, fans already like you because they see how you play um, and they know what a value you are to whatever program you go to. I said, but this is how you get you market yourself and it, it's just not important to them. And that's okay. And I'm not, that is not a criticism at all. That's okay because everybody's different. Lord knows if somebody came and talked to one of my teenage kids and said, Hey, we'd like to do this. I mean, you want to talk one word answers. I mean, they'd be the Kings of one word answers. But so, you know, so when I was at the school, he, he he's like, well, what else is he going to ask me? He's already, we already did an interview about these schools. And it's like, well, we want to talk about the official visit instead. And so I'm going to ask about that kind of stuff. And so he's like, okay, uh, that's fine. And listen, when, when you talk to him, he is pleasant. He, you know, is well thought with his answers and he's accommodating. It's just that some kids are not into the interviews I mean, shoot, you want to talk about guys who are not into the interviews. You just look at the NFL and a couple of kids that covered like Trayvon and Stefan Diggs. They were not guys that were big on the interviews in recruiting either. And, and that's OK. I, I don't I don't hold it against them. I don't say, well, we can't rank them because they're. The, I mean, it's who their personalities are. And one thing I always try to do in recruiting is. I don't want to bother the kids. I don't want to burden the kids. I don't want to put them in bad situations or uncomfortable situations. And so I, I understand where he's coming from. And I think as it moves along and, and as we've talked a few times now, he understands where I'm coming from and how I'm trying to do a job also. And so if I do DM him, he, he usually will get back. It's not always, but he'll usually get back. So it shows that, okay, he, He's understanding a little bit more about how to get his name out there. Um, but it's, you know, when you go to St. Francis and you want to interview him, you know, it's not a given that that's going to happen. I think that's the best way to put it. Very good. Well, we like to do real interviews and get real quotes here. But um, we've got, uh, you mentioned Marshawn Lloyd as a guy from South Carolina that he has a relationship with at Penn State. He grew up playing with KJ Winston, a guy that's committed to Penn State in the 2022 class. I mean, those are the relationships. And, and there, I don't think there's a ton of relationships out there that he can lean on for recruiting at the next level, I think is what I'm getting into. So Penn State has some things going for him right now. Yeah. I mean, you're you're always talking about familiarity and what makes kids comfortable. You know, people always talk about, um, boy, the whiteout was great. Fitz, I've been doing this a long time. So if you just, you know, just by a show of hands, a show, a show of fingers on your hand, how many times did a kid commit? And you said, well, what was the, you know, what led you to commit? Oh, the whiteout. No, that, that doesn't happen. It's, it's where you feel comfortable. It's where your family, you know, where you feel like family, where you feel like you, 
mesh best with the coaches? And then now that we can visit again with the players who you spent time with when you were on campus, where do you feel comfortable in the overall picture of things? That's what is important to these kids. And when you look at, you know, KJ Winston commits to Penn State because he feels comfortable with the coaching staff and he likes to vibe on campus and he, he feels at home. And, you know, Andre Roy, he likes the vibe of Trout Wine and the coaching staff he feels at home. And so with Barnum, it's do you feel comfortable? And the big thing about getting him on campus for the whiteout, it wasn't that he sees the atmosphere because, I mean, you could show the atmosphere anywhere and make it look good and, you know, talk to a kid about, well, the atmosphere is great, but, you know, that's six days a year. Um, but with Barnum, the big thing was when he visited in June, I believe he went up with his brother. When he visited this time, mom went. And that's important because, Fitz, as you, as you well know, decisions rarely get made unless either mom or dad sign off on them and understand what their kid is getting into. Absolutely. And this, and mom has been prominent throughout this recruitment. I don't think that's a secret for anybody. Um, at that whiteout, Penn State got a commit in the pregame from Lamont Payne, 2023 uh, cornerback from Western Pennsylvania. This is a guy that you and I have talked about a lot, uh, even before he was on the radar on Commit Watch or whatever. A long corner. We talked to him on the podcast earlier this week. A long corner that really kind of fits what Penn State's do doing back there. He, he fits what they're doing, and he's like, if you have to draw up what a Penn State kid is, I mean, hopefully everybody watched the podcast and saw what he's about. He, he's a really smart kid. He's well thought. Um, I, I just feel like everything about him was Penn State. Um, and, yeah, back there, and people are like, oh, what's his ranking? We'll, we'll get to we, we got a ways to go before we settle on rankings and everything and really get to see him a little bit more. But when I've seen him in action, he was a kid that can change direction. You know, he can flip his hips. Uh, he's got a good frame, good length. Um, he has position versatility right now as far as I'm concerned when we get to see frame development. Um, but, it, you know, when you look at what Penn State – is doing on the back end. I feel like for a while now they've recruited really well in the secondary. And I think you see that when you watch them play on Saturdays on how many plays are getting made back there or plays not being made by offenses. And so, I, and I think he's a smart kid who will work hard, who giving his skill set, his maturity, um, his football IQ, his overall IQ. I think he's a kid that gets on the field early for Penn State. He'll find a way, whether it's nickel, whether they drop him into safety for a little bit or play him a corner. I think he's a way. I think he'll find a way to get on the field early in his career. I think so too. I think so too. And a, a week later, Penn State got Mega Barnwell back into the fold, a three-star tight end from Virginia, a guy that was Penn State's first commit originally way too soon. Then he opened it up, came back around. <laughs> Um, that was one that uh, we've been watching for a long, long time. Just a really interesting prospect because I have no idea where he's going to end up. Well, Penn State. <laughs> well, sorry. I have no idea which position he is going to end up. Thank you for Man. stomping on my generalities. So, Man, that was actually awesome. Um, it, You're going to frame it's that, interesting. that video clip. Yeah. <laughs> it's interesting because I thought for a long time, and, I, and there's still part of me that thinks it, that he's an offensive tackle, right? Long time I've thought that. Watching his freshman tape from Spotsylvania, um, which, by the way, I think is my wife's favorite town on the East Coast. But from there, where he did a lot of blocking, they didn't throw the ball much. Um, 
watching some of his tape as a sophomore, I'm thinking, okay, I still think he's a tight end type kid. Um, seeing some early junior stuff. I mean, I mean, offensive line kid. Seeing some of his early junior stuff, I think he's an offensive line kid. And then I went and met him. Um, and he has the frame of a tight end right now. And he's he's reshaped his body. He's probably about 255, 260. And in talking to him, he's like, listen, we're starting to throw the ball a little more. I also spoke to his coach when I was at the school. He throw the ball a little more, use him more in the passing game. And as the process went along, more and more schools talked to him about tight end and and not talked about, well, that's what he wants to hear talk, but legitimately spoke about tight end to him and his coaches. And look, at the end of the day, I still think he winds up at off offensive tackle, but I am not nearly as certain as I was, you know, maybe two months ago, two months ago, I thought it was, it was a foregone conclusion. Um, I could see him, especially given, you know, he still has a, a year and a half of high school football to play. But to watch how he develops in the next year and a half will determine whether he comes to Penn State as a tight end and gets a chance there or as an offensive tackle. I, I think he's going to start out as a tight end there, to be honest. Man, that's uh, I, like I said, I've, I've got no idea. And, and you went down and saw him. I've seen him from a distance. And but right. yeah, go ahead. No, I was going to say, he, when you look at his frame, it's, it's you know, he's he's got kind of like the V-cut now a little bit going on, which is good. And I just feel like he has that kind of size. Look, he's not going to be uh, Mike Gusecki line up in the slot or wide and, and all that stuff kind of tight end. But he is going to be an inline guy who can get out into a route if that's the, if that's the avenue that they choose to travel. I could see that now. And, and I never would have thought that. You know, he walked into the room and I was like, oh, man, you're you're a lot different than I thought you would be. I mean, his size is legit, wide shoulders. He obviously has the frame to hold 290 to be an offensive lineman or 300, but he does not have to take that path right now. All right. We'll take your word for it. And also, surprisingly, Spotsylvania, your wife's favorite town, I would have thought somewhere down at the down on the shore. What? What? South Carolina. I know yeah. you're big in South Carolina, so I am big in South Carolina and on their board too. Um, but uh, no, she just likes she. I'm not going to torture people here with it, but if you if you take Spotsylvania and you sing it to one of the Lion King songs, then you'll understand why she has that. And perhaps next year when we're traveling down through that area, and she decides to sing it, I'll secretly tape it and throw it on Twitter or something because I've been married so long that that ain't going to be the thing that puts us over the top. <laughs> you're, you're way deeper in than that, but uh, yeah, we can get her on our YouTube channel, get some subscribers out of it. Um, yeah, oh, there you we, go. we have chatted since the whiteout, um, but just a couple of guys that I wanted to highlight in that 2023 class, because there are guys that are very important targets for Penn state at this point, even though, it's not an important time for Penn State to push for commits because they still want to see junior film. They still want to get out, take their time, figure out what they have. Um, but uh, but I think receiver is really interesting in this in this cycle. There's not as many guys on the board as I thought there were. I sat down and kind of wrote these down a little bit earlier, um, but uh, there weren't as many wide receivers out there as expected, but you, you throw in a guy like Rodney Gallagher, who's obviously carries that athlete tag as well. Johnny Shakir from South Jersey and Kenny Johnson, the, the wide receiver from Dallas town, very interesting prospect that Penn state just offered. And I think a lot of schools have just noticed because he's having a really big junior year. 
Yeah, and, and I think, well, first of all, I think what everybody's surprised is the prep work that Fitz did, right? So before we got on there, he, he did that prep work, which is what all good guys do, right? So I'll right. give you kudos for that. Yeah, um, yeah I, I think it's interesting when you're talking about Kenny Johnson from Dallastown area, and I think he was at uh, York Suburban or something like that beforehand, which I thought was more of a car than a school, but okay. Um, That's terrible. <laughs> it's still early for me. But – I look at him and like, if you're Penn State, you can't be offering a kid in state and not want him, right? You, you have to want him. And he's put up great numbers. They've checked him out. He's got the size. Um, and, you you know, we talked before about Amari Evans and his speed. And then you have a guy like Kenny Johnson, who who is more of a big receiver and kind of fits that mold a little bit more. And, and I think he's really interesting to keep an eye on. And the Shakur kid at a, at a Pensalkin, uh, right? Yeah. I mean, I, I look at him and I'm like, all right, Pensalkin, he's had a good season. He, he shows on film what he's supposed to, if you're going to be a big time recruit against that competition, he decided to go up to Penn state for games um, rather than go to games at in-state Rutgers, so it shows you where his interest level is. Um, and he's a he's a darting kind of receiver. He, he you know quick ha- has the ability to to go the distance, but he's you know that short space, short area quickness, or whatever you want to call it. He's good with that. And then you look at Gallagher. I mean, look, Gallagher's a phenomenal athlete, um, and he's been offered for football and basketball. When you look, you know, from schools, I think long-term football may be the answer because he's six feet tall. And if you look at the NBA, I don't watch the NBA religiously, but I know there's not a lot of six-foot guys in the NBA. Um, so you better be really darn special. And, and maybe he is that. But he's being recruited as a receiver by Penn State. He likes Penn State a lot, so much so that, you know, he's made multiple visits to campus He's feeling some love from Penn State on the basketball side, which is important. And I think when you look at those three, I think Penn State will wind up with at least one of them. I don't know if they'll take all three. If Gallagher wants to come, they'll take him at any time. And then it just could turn into kind of like a, a numbers thing. But and, and that's what Fitz, you and I talk about all the time is, you know, the numbers aspect of it. We talk about with Mega Barnwell at tight end and then, all of a sudden, how many tight ends can you take? And you got Andrew Rappelier up in Massachusetts, and you got Joey Scheffler, you know, at, at Exeter. And so, you know, all of a sudden, you know, Neo, Neo Avery down in Good Council, who plays Neo quarterback, Avery, yeah. a heck of an athlete. Yeah. A great athlete who could be either an edge linebacker or a tight end, depending on what school he's talking to. And so now, all of a sudden, yeah, they're not pressing kids to commit, but there's enough depth at several positions to where it can make things happen a lot more quickly than anybody would anticipate. And you can leverage this class against the next one when you've got whatever, anywhere from three to six receivers, whatever they're saying with, uh, with the Penn state's uh, class of 2022, you may, may only have one spot or two spots available. And, and that's a, that's a short list, especially for, for guys, you don't want to, you know, overly squeeze 
guys that are close to you, in-state guys, or you you could probably include those Pensacola kids as in-state uh, targets yeah. as much as they've been up. You don't want to yeah. squeeze those guys, but at the same time, I mean, it's the the, the numbers are gonna are, are going to be very prevalent at some positions. I think receivers one of them after taking a big class in in, in 2022. Right. No, I think you want to squeeze them. I mean, when it, when it comes to the right time, you'll squeeze them. Every program does. But but have, no, you know. and I and I get that. But I right now in the fall of there's, of there's no reason to right yeah yeah, yeah there's right. no reason to. But once the season's over and we get those big junior days in, you know what January they'll do it. I don't know if mm-hmm. they'll do one in December. You know, I'm sure people are hoping they're playing in the Big Ten championship game instead. But um, yeah, I mean. That's exactly what this is about, and they'll they'll set up their board again in the off season. You know, you, you use you know December, January, especially early January, to set up your board off of what you mentioned before with junior film, and then you can go out and you know what'll tell is who's coming to campus for that twenty three class. You know, whether they do something in December or January, that will say a lot. Now, everybody won't be able to make it that they want, and there'll be some kids that come up that you know, they're still not sure about that they'll, they'll have to entertain anyway. But for the most part, you'll you'll see kind of like that pecking order of 23 really start to get established some point in January. And you already see it to a degree. It's starting to set up a little bit now, like you mentioned, just with those three in the region. And, and, and you know there's going to be more coming, and you know Penn State's going to offer some receiver from IMG that they haven't yet because – you know they recruit IMG hard, but there'll be there'll be other kids that pop up. But yeah, I think I think you look at it and you can really start seeing how classes can come together more quickly now than in the past. And I think you can say that there there are guys that are on the radar fairly prominently right now that won't be at this time next year. And that's you know an evaluation tool we saw in the 2022 class, even though it you know very different in terms of what you could see when you could get guys on campus and things like that. You I mean you were talking and I don't want to say the kid, but the other day you were talking to a kid that's got a top list and you asked him about his top list and there's some good schools in there and he's still got a really good school on it. And he said, well, I don't hear from them very much anymore. That's just kind of the, the nature of the beast right now. It is. And I get it because, I mean, I talk to kids and coaches that the kid will get an offer of the spring of his sophomore year. And they'll be like, wow, they're in kind of late. But what? What? In kind of late. I mean, I, you've been, I will you've been never. Down in Philly again, haven't you? <laughs> no, no, it wasn't in Philly. To be honest with you, it was a, it was a New England kid. Um, but uh, it's interesting to me. It's like if you like a school, you like a school. I don't care when they offer. Right? I mean, mm-hmm. you know, if you want to buy a car, and you know you're ready to buy it now, and then it goes on sale in six months, you're like, well. Even though I didn't buy another car, I'm not going to buy that one because it's took too long to go on sale. It's a bad analogy, but you get it. Um, I, would, I would definitely wait for the sale, but that's just me. So, yeah, it, correct, correct. But, um, but for me, there's going to be things that crop up throughout the process of of more kids getting offered. And you know, you mentioned that in another year they won't be on the radar. Shoot, man. I could see them not being on the radar after this week since Penn State has a buy and can really go through some film and research and everything. I, I can see where kids that are on the 23 radar today aren't on it next week or next month. Um, that's how quick this stuff works. 
Yeah, that's a good point. That's a good point. Uh, full of good points today, Brian Dunn. We got to get you out of here uh, and get to some other stuff. But thank you once again for coming on the Lions Twenty Four Seven Podcast. Always a welcome guest. Always great to speak with you. Um, and and you do tremendous work on our site. You can follow him at Brian Dunn Two Four Seven on Twitter. And of course, he's always lurking around the board. I don't know. You might do another chat here this week or next or something like that. We're always happy to have him because they're a little bit a little little less wordy than mine. <laughs> They are, but uh, not sure when this is going, but there'll be a chat on Thursday. All right. Well, check it out. Uh, thanks again, Brian, for joining us. And I'm going to sign off now. This is the Lions 24-7 podcast for Tyler Donahue, hopefully for his uh, his new daughter as well. But uh, thanks for joining us in the Lions 24-7 podcast. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever or... I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones so we'll never lose touch with civilization and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic and conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.